Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is live, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. Now on to the show. Moving Iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving Iron time and time again. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. Sean, how are you doing this morning? Pretty good. Pretty good. We're we're a little far away from each other today, but yes, uh, we are. Yeah, <laughs> near uh, Florida and Montana is quite a haul. So there's a, there's a little bit of a distance there, but. There's uh, some weather events going on right now, I guess, that are kind of shaping the uh, the market here a little bit. Things are kind of starting to correct out of this wet, rainy pattern that we're seeing. Still a lot of rain in the forecast, but there's uh, it's not as uh, widespread as, as it has been in the past. Um, you have a low pressure developing there um, pretty much in your backyard. That's going to uh, have a pretty big effect on uh, the Florida panhandle, the deep south. Maybe it looks like it's going to scoot over into uh, Louisiana and Texas there, but um, market's just been kind of slopping around here a little bit. You know, we were up pretty big on Monday, and then today we've had two days of down. Um, we started up, I think we're three cents down for the day after closing uh, six and a half down yesterday on corn. So looks like the uh, the market is uh, kind of at that place where it needs uh, a little more positive news, I guess. Uh, coming up, we got the report coming out Thursday that could have some, some effect on what we see happening in the market. But, uh, I don't know. It's just kind of a kind of a standstill, I guess, right now. It is a standstill. I mean, basically, we've we're, we've moved beyond the weather market that we were in, and we're in search of a new story. You know, a new a new variable, a new uh, a, a new piece of information to drive the market one way or the other. And obviously, um, this week's USDA report shouldn't be too significant because they're going to go with the numbers that they said in the planting intentions report, which most people are highly questionable about. And so one would have to, you know, kind of discard much of what is said there. Um, so, so we're going to have to wait till August 12th to get maybe a, a better number and maybe some more clear direction on at least what the planted acres were. And by that time, we'll at least had enough weather through enough of the corn pollination to know a little better about what the yields on corn might be looking like. So, so I think, you know, we're still in this period where the market just doesn't know what to do and it needs another few weeks before, you know, it might start to make some bets one way or the other. And so we're just kind of in this uh, kind of dismal sideways trading range waiting for direction, like, just like you said. And, and weather is improving a little bit. Um, it's not perfect, but it's, it's better than it was. And we are actually seeing um, some pretty significant changes in the atmosphere. What I mean by that is that the El Nino has been driving U.S. weather all year long. And, uh, and, and that El Nino has really started to weaken in the last two weeks. And we measure the atmospheric response by what's called global angular momentum, which is the upper level winds anomalies. When they're very positive, it's an El Nino response. And we were very, very positive all year long, giving us this cold, wet weather. And we have dropped off big time. We're actually expected to go into significant negative uh, global angular momentum. And that means that we're actually going to be trading or um, the atmosphere is actually going to be acting more like a La Nina here. Um, if it were to persist, and that means warmer temperatures, drier temperatures, you know, a warm, drier pattern. And so we're kind of looking out for that, that if that 
persist. You know, maybe we move into a hot, dry pattern in August and and kind of clip the corn market as it's trying to pollinate. We talked about this a couple of times before, Casey, how we can go from wet, 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 and then dry mm-hmm. as we shift the, the jet stream around. And we might be heading for this big shift from we can't stop the rain from falling and then we won't be able to buy a drop of rain when we really need it. It's really something we're worried about right now because it's a big, big change in the atmosphere that we haven't seen at all this year until this the last couple of weeks. So it's uh, it's not a market mover today because the warmer weather is, 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 is being viewed as bearish right now, but it could be very quickly a bullish factor if it persists into August. So, Yeah, and I've, I've kind of started to notice that we've had uh, – <clears throat> Back home in Nebraska, we had uh, a couple weeks there where we've had some pretty strong, <clears throat> pretty strong daytime highs. And you know, I had a, an old man tell me once that if there's still a lot of snow in the mountains and and uh, the weather stays warm down and in the uh, in the valley, then um, you have a large you're going to have a stormy summer, and that's exactly what we've had. You know, we've had there's still tons of snow up in the, up in the mountains that hasn't melted off yet. That cold air coming off the mountains, hitting that warm air coming. We've had three and a half weeks, maybe almost now, maybe even four weeks of every single night, some level of severe storms come through my immediate area. And it's not just like, oh, a little thunder, a little lightning. We're talking golf ball-sized hail. We're talking torrential downpours, all that fun stuff. And that finally came to an end about yesterday and – it's kind of started to calm down anyway, and we'll, we'll see what happens. But um, the warm temperatures are there, and, and if where we're at doesn't really matter because of heavily irrigated anyway. So actually this time of year, farmers prefer it to quit raining so they can just control the amount of water they put on their on their crops and what have you. So it's, a, it's, a, it's going to be a, a crazy fun ride, and we'll see how things shape out. But – you know, one thing we talk about a lot on here is the cotton market and how that affects with, with the uh, with the overall global market. So the feds came out um, here pretty much last week and kind of hinted around that they are for sure going to um, uh, drop interest rates by a, by a half or a quarter point. And they've even talked about maybe doing it three times throughout the course of the year. Um, Still, I mean, you see some rallies in the in the stock market when they do that, but it's kind of been back and forth. Um, the overall global um, economy is is really starting to slow down. You start to see some really good signs of that. Um, I don't know what what do you think is going to happen with with the overall economy when you start taking a look at this. So they do drop interest rates by you know, the course of a year by three quarters of a point, which would basically put us back to where we started at, at the beginning of 2018. Right. And that kind of about, about right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what kind of effect do you think that's going to have on the markets and, and what do you think? Um, do you think there could be some, some positive moves there when you start looking at cotton because of maybe some, some quantitative quantitative easing when it comes to uh, the uh, overall economy? Well, I mean, there's two different things. There's the lowering of interest rates and then there's the, uh, 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 the monetary levers that they pull, whether it's quantitative easing. I've ever heard that they're going to look to fix long-term interest rates and not allow them to rise so that the U.S. government doesn't go bankrupt because of interest payments. You know, they're, they're looking at ways to keep interest rates low because the debts are so high, we simply can't have 7% interest rates without having the debt interest payments consume almost the entire budget uh, that the U.S. government has. And so so all of that is is, is crazy stuff, but but so 
overall, remember, it's not just what we do. It's what the EU does. It's what right. Japan, Japan does. It's what the, all the central banks have come out over yeah. the last 30 or 45 days and said, we're going to start doing something. Now, of course, that something is the devil's in the details. How much, when, um, and exactly what. But, but clearly, we are moving into a market, a monetary easing cycle again. But it takes time for that to translate into a, a better economic activity. Um, when you typically look at when central banks start to lower rates and start to print money again, there's a, easily a six-month, even a nine-month lag between when they start doing something and when the real economy starts reacting. Of course, markets don't wait for the first economic data uh, to show that things are improving. So if you remember in 2009, uh, early 2010, when all the central banks went crazy with printing money, Markets went up for over a year, and the economy was horrible. Right, um, and then the economy started doing better. So, so there's a it's a delicate balance between when the markets start moving and when the actual real economy starts showing tangible evidence of doing better. So, our best guess is that uh, we think markets, if if we start, um, Casey, you there? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, if we uh, start uh, easing monetary policy now, and so do the other central banks, I would think that the markets would start to react from the fourth quarter onward. I think it, would, it wouldn't be immediate. I think we would want to see more information on what they're doing, follow through. But I would, I'm pretty comfortable in saying that the fourth quarter onward, if we were to see this global monetary easing push, that the markets would start to react. But I don't think the real economy would show – uh, strong evidence of turning until probably the summer of next year, maybe the fall of next year, but the markets will probably start turning in the fourth quarter. That's my best guess at this point. Yep. Yeah, Friday's job report came out and there was, uh, I think we had 300 some thousand jobs, but the uh, unemployment rate rose to 3.9% from 3.4%. So <clears throat> there is a, there's a, uh, and that's could be some seasonal stuff there. You know, there could be some, some farm labor stuff in that, that with, with the, uh, with the way things are, you could start seeing some things there, but I guess my next question is: Let's talk about about China a little bit here. Our, our if we're if we're in contraction and the rest of the world is in contraction too when it comes to their economy, so is China. Um, there's no doubt about that. Do you feel like maybe if 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 we start heading down that path more towards a uh, some some sort of uh, kind of global recession that that could push a a China U.S. deal maybe? F- closer to being done just so they could have some level of agreement there? Absolutely. I mean, I think right now, um, you know, Trump has, has been comfortable in uh, not feeling the urgency to do anything because the, our economy has been sort of hanging in there uh, and, and being the best, you know, the, the best market economy out there. And so, so from that perspective, we've, we've felt we have a strong hand and we don't need to uh, depress the issue. Um, you know, the Chinese, obviously, you know, they have felt, you know, that we're vulnerable to agriculture and that if they press hard on agriculture, that, uh, um, you know, that, that, that that would win us out. But I think that if we, if both countries, the two largest economies in the world, start feeling intense domestic pressure economically and from their constituencies, uh, I think they will quickly resolve, you know, any uh, anything that's stopping them from getting a deal done. So in some Dimension way, we almost want a downturn to get this deal done. If, if, if you really think it through, I don't really see it happening unless that happens. I really think the pressure on both sides is to be such that they both have a reason 
to get this done economically because that's always what drives these things. Right now, it's he said that, she said that. We're you know it's, it's posturing, but I don't see anyone any reason why any side has to has to settle right now. You know. Yeah. Uh, something we don't talk about much, but let's talk about what's this. We've talked about global markets quite a bit when you start looking at <clears throat> what we see happening out around the world, but. South America looks like they're having a uh, pretty good crop. I mean, their their last corn crop went well. Their beans are coming out nice. Argentina had a great rebound from what happened last year in their in their uh, epic drought they had. And then when it came time to harvest, they had record rainfall. So um, they kind of got hit with both sides of that stick. But it sounds like to me, from what I've read and what I can see, that South American markets are or South American crops are uh, doing well this year. And there's uh, going to be some decent bushels that come out of there. Corn exports in the month of June out of Brazil, for example, up sixfold year over year for the same month last year. So they're selling like crazy. Um, and, and that's, of course, is to the Chinese advantage, by the way, because right now they can go to the, the Brazilians, they can go to the Argentinians and buy all the grain they want for now, and they don't really need to buy it from us. And so that is their advantage. Of course, that doesn't last forever. Um, you know, they, they, the, at the rate that they're selling, you know, come a fall, you know, they'll they won't have that much to sell anymore. And then the, then the Chinese will need to come back to the U S market. But for now, yeah, I mean, there's huge supplies uh, coming out of there and, and there's going to be large exports and um, it, it's just going to keep our, mar- our export market um, in tough shape uh, with the, with, with the trade war continuing onward, which I don't see ending right now. Um, and, and that's a negative, you know, the weather's been a bullish factor, but let's not lose sight that the demand side of the factor, the export side of the factor is bearish and remains bearish and will continue to be bearish um, at least for the next several months. And that, you know, that is probably another reason is keeping the market from running away to the upside is that they have such large supplies down there that's capping the ability for the U.S. market to run too far right now. Yep. Okay, so let's talk about the areas that we've talked about that had drought around the world. So we've talked about um, India and, and you know, Southeast Asia kind of looking at some <clears> – <throat> some drought areas when it comes to rice and cotton we talked about australia and and the drought that they've had for five years it seems like they just can't get a break down there but with the shift in the uh el nino effects uh do you see maybe some some opportunity to get some more rain in those those drought stricken areas over there um it's a little more complicated in asia because there's there's two important forces that really drive moisture on the monsoon one is el nino la nina remember we're still in a weak el nino but the atmosphere is responding not el nino like so so it's not a it's not like we have a full-blown la nina and the atmosphere is acting la nina it's it's we're sort of weakening the el nino effect um and to to that extent it, it does bring more moisture into asia or could the other factor is what's called the indian ocean dipole that's the sea surface temperatures from the west to the east side of India. And when they're positive or moderately positive like they are now, uh, that tends to produce uh, or tends to encourage um, somewhat of a drier outcome in Asia. So I guess what, what, what we're thinking and what we're feeling is that we do think that places like maybe Southeast Asia could get some more rainfall, um, but we do, do not think that it will mean that much for India or for China, we think that those patterns are going to be more impacted by the Indian Ocean dipole, not as much by the weakening El Nino. And as such, um, the, the dry weather patterns that are in place in North China and in central Northwest India are likely to persist at least through 
through most of the important part of the remaining growing season before there'd be any material changes there. So we're still pretty much on board that the key Asian countries are still going to see a drier than normal period. But certainly we're moving towards a more La Nina environment as we move into the years ahead. And that does mean Asia is going to get very wet, but it's still too early to say Asia is going to be turning materially to change the outcome that we see right now. Yep. All right. Let's jump over and talk about cattle market for a little bit. Uh, we are in um, pretty much the peak drilling season that we should be in right now. Actually, summer kind of started late with with all the weather we had early, late spring, early summer, kind of in driving that uh, that that whole uh, grilling market a little bit. Um, cattle market's been kind of back and forth here, um, kind of got beat up here later this part of the week and last week. So I guess talk about the cattle market we see happening there and, and how do you see uh, that playing out here coming up uh, through the, uh, through the month of July? Well, I mean, I, I still think, you know, it's all about, you know, when is the African swine fever demand going to be felt by the United States? You know, not only in the beef market, but also in the pork market. And so what we, I, I, I'd like to take a step back. And so why has this not happened? You know, why, has this massive shortfall in China not led to, um, at this point, the kind of demand we were expecting to see? Why has it been delayed? And I think there's two primary reasons. One, the problem is so much worse in China than we thought. People think that if you liquidate pigs because you're afraid of African swine fever, that it gets removed from the market. It doesn't get removed from the market. It hits the market. It's available to the market. It's supply that the market has to eat through before it has to refill the coffers. Now, of course, if you don't replace those ca- those hogs, you don't replace those that pork. You have to then. You have a massive hole. You have to 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 refill. So our original base case at the beginning of the year is that we were going to be maximum fifteen percent herd liquidation. We're already at 35 percent on our way to forty. So that all that herd liquidation on the pig side on the hog side has been extra supply and it's taken longer for the market to eat through it. Our view is that we're that we're about through the overhang, and we're now and now the Chinese need to refill what has been lost. Secondly, the China trade war, the tariffs on U.S. pork specifically, deterred them from buying U.S. pork and forced them or 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 caused them to buy pork from other sources when those sources were at least available enough to fill the gap that was there. Interesting enough, though, is that the Chinese put in place. Uh, an exemption program that if you as a pork importer went for an exemption and were accepted that come July, you could import us pork with no tariffs on it whatsoever. That starts now. And so we expect to see pork imports start to grow rapidly as now those tariffs are removed. And we're at the point where that overhang of supply is behind us. And so the limit up move yesterday in hogs, you know, too, too, too early to say that one day is a trend, but it, it exactly fits in when one, you would think that U.S. pork exports to China would start to really pick up as these tariffs are removed and they're now moving through the overhang. So we're pretty optimistic that the demand finally for U.S. pork and U.S. beef is going to pick up markedly, not only because of this supply overhang being removed, but also because of this, this tariff uh, policy that the Chinese went through that should start to really bring uh, that kind of demand in because the, the situation is extremely serious. It's not, hasn't gone away and it, and they're going to need to buy a lot of us pork and beef. Um, and so, so we feel we pr- possibly we've made the final lows here and we're ready for, um, 
you know, round two of the move that began last year and, and faded when, when everybody uh, kind of pushed the, pushed the dial too soon and, uh, and got caught buying, uh, you know, buying into, uh, to this demand side factor too early. So, so overall we think that's the driver here and we think it's, uh, you know, we're encouraged that yesterday might be the beginning of something more. Yeah. All right. So dairy market, um, you start to see some pretty extreme volatility there. Uh, some big swings in the day when you start looking at class three milk and that usually is a sign that there is, uh, there is a uh, opportunity to uh, to to make some money there where they haven't made it before. There's maybe some moves start to see some upward movement here. Maybe they've got the uh, the milk supply kind of closer to uh, to some uh, some demand curve moves there. So talk about the, what you see happen in the dairy market and and what you see happen that going into this this fall here where we're going to see you know that's a pretty you know we're looking at silage and those different things being cut for not only the dairy market, but also for the, the, the feedlot market. So talk about what you see happening there and, and how, what effect you see on dairy right now. Well, there's the short-term impact. I mean, we've had pri- prices are approaching 18, mm-hmm. you know, on, on the fall contracts and, you know, they were, you know, 14, 15, not too long ago. So we've had a very sizable move and that's basically at a five-year high. Um, so this would be a place that the market should pause and probably correct. We've been seeing production uh, in Europe start to improve significantly price have started to really fall there. Uh, GDT prices in New Zealand have start, have fallen four straight auctions in a row. Um, so, so the only place where prices have not started to fall is in the U.S. because U.S. production has been so constrained. We had two negative uh, milk production growth uh, months out of the last three, which is really unusual. So, um, so I think the near-term picture is that we're probably going to have a correction. Um, you know, I do think that production in the U.S. is going to improve as we move into the fall. Um, as, as the herd liquidation that took place early in the year subsides and farmers are making more money, producers are making more money on the margin. They're going to try to push a little more milk out, try to make a little extra money. So my overall short-term advice is that this $18 level, you know, well, farmers want to make sure they're fairly well sold there because I do think there could be a short-term setback. Beyond that, though, you know, we're pretty excited about what's, what's going on in 2020 and that this is not the, the top it's a top and a pathway to a much higher price level because what we see happening with African swine fever with the rise in cattle prices and the challenges that we see with not only feed uh, physical uh, supply availability, but also the quality of that availability. You know, if you feed dairy cows uh, less than, you know, good quality grain, uh, their production falters. So, so this, this sets up for a, a much, much bigger problem as you move into uh, 2020. And so, you know, we would be more interested in getting ourselves sold, let's say into the end of the year, less so for 2020. And that would be our advice to dairy farmers who are thinking about what to do and finally have prices that they can actually, actually works for their balance sheet. They should sell that now and make sure they lock that in, put some money into their businesses, but be a little wary about selling too much in 2020. We still think the best is still yet to come out ahead. Right on. All right, Sean, get information as usual. Plenty of stuff going on here. Folks want to reach out to you and get some information from you or just pick your brain about stuff. What's the best way to do that? Uh, website at Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. All kinds of information on there, interviews, webinars, phone number, email address, any way to contact us. We're glad to help. We're here to help. And we think and hopefully they, uh, in looking at our information, they see you know, a pathway forward that we might be able to, uh, you know, make them uh, handle their operations a little better and, and, and take advantage of some of this volatility. We're finally starting to see in markets 
after a long period of, of not seeing it. So we're encouraged and, and hope that we can help your listeners in doing that. Right on. All right, Sean. Well, take care of yourself. Enjoy that, that, uh, that warm Florida summer heat and humidity here. And we'll uh, talk to you again next week. Sounds good. Thanks, Casey. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast, now part of the Global Ag Network. If you'd like to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at Moving Iron Podcast.com. You can also visit the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel and watch Market Roundup with Chip Nellinger, Sean Hackett, and Angie Setzer. Also, Tax News with Glenn Birnbaum. Please visit movingironllc.com. Here you can find information, details, and updates for the 2019 Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, and globalagnetwork.com. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving higher, time and time again. Through the years, you'll find us here.